You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. everyone we're back and we're talking with emma amoscato from the free from farmhouse again you might remember her where we talked to her about her children's food allergies and we talked to her about her son james's experiences with asthma as a young boy Uh, today we're actually taking a little bit of a different spin and we're talking about how we vet information online so how do we go about googling how do we go about navigating through social media and how do we find what information is right for us and what information is correct um it's really interesting conversation so i'm not going to say much more than that and let's jump into it Hi, Emma. It's so great to have you back again. Um, this time, I think we're going to, I really want to know more about how you kind of started. I, I know how you started the blog, but what it's kind of done for you and what you've kind of noticed as far as things that you've watched out for as you look at other people's blogs. Yeah, um, it's, no, it's lovely to be back. Um, yeah, the blog, as I say, I started it after my son had an anaphylactic reaction and I was really just searching for answers and information and really wanting to reach out and connect with other people that had been through the same thing because I didn't know anybody that had a child with allergies that was in the same situation as us. And I just wanted some reassurance, really, um, you know, that we could do this and that we could keep him safe um, and also to deal with the emotional side of it, you know, the fear and the anxiety um, and all those kind of things. So, yeah, I started the blog um, just starting documenting our journey and kind of the things we were going through. And then I just, I read and I read and I read and I read, um, you know, online, both other people's blogs and, you know, things from Allergy UK and Anaphylaxis Campaign and medical papers. And I just wanted to arm myself with as much information as possible um, because it's difficult to know, you know, there's so much information on the internet, but trying to decipher between what's real and what's true and what's right and what's just opinion can be tricky. And so I think, yeah, you need to think about what's what information you can trust, but you also do still need those parents' experience because you want that that real life feedback as well, I think. How do you cope with everyday situations? Right, because in the medical world, we don't really talk about that, right? And so we yeah. don't really talk about how do you go to a birthday party? I mean, I'd yeah. love to be able to go into that in an office visit, but it's just usually not feasible, you know? So I do think that that information just comes from experience, but it does make me a little bit uneasy sometimes too because of Dr. Google and because of just yeah. Google in general and all the people that are out there with what you said, like misinformation, it's a little bit scary. So, so you feel like you've kind of turned to more of the societies or these kind of bigger institutions as like a resource? Yeah, so a little bit of both. So in terms of actual information, I would always try to go to trusted sources like Allergy UK or Anaphylaxis Campaign or FAIR or any of those, you know, you can trust the information that's on there. Unfortunately, as you kind of say, that doesn't give you the other side of things you need, which is why most people end up in forums on the internet, because they want that connection with other people and other parents going through the same thing. And they want to be asked 
be able to ask those questions like how do I go to a soft play area when everyone's eating food or how do I make the people at the play group understand that they can't leave their milk cups everywhere and it's those things that you you can't find out from from doctors or from the medical side of things but then you can end up on a lot of forums which can be fueled by fear and maybe people aren't necessarily sharing the best information so I mean like all of it it comes down to kind of vetting your sources and there's not a simple answer on that one I don't think in terms of obviously you can go to the big societies and the big charities and the medical places for the medical information the other side of it it's a it's a balance really I think it's just kind of finding your community which I think Courtney you've done yeah I was just gonna say for me I think what I can offer as a blogger is my story because that's what I mean I started blogging similarly I, I wanted to find other allergy adults out there um, I was like there's got to be someone someone out there has to feel the same way as me and I'm not a doctor you know that's why I'm here with Dr. Gupta but I have I have this experience and you know when you you get your diagnosis and you step outside of the office and you're like okay that's great but now how do I go about living my life again well it is it's finding people who are doing it and I think for me it's what I can offer is how I live my life and that's that's what I'm going to give you and I would be curious Emma how do you vet a blog like what would what are warning signs to you or what are signs that it's a safe space oh that's a very good question um I think it's looking firstly overall at that person's profile you know some people may have a little corner of a blog but maybe aren't involved in the LG community in other ways or anything that is too scaremongering or I think sometimes people that make it sound like they are doctors or they do have all the answers when you know they're not got it's very difficult to say it in a a clear way or in a way that um you know everybody blogs for their own reasons and everybody's got something to contribute because everybody's got their own story and as you say that's valuable in itself you know sometimes you just want to see that person that's one step ahead of you whose child has gone to school or like I love reading your blog Courtney or other people who are allergy adults and you can see they've gone through school and they've gone off and traveled and they're they're out in the big wide world doing things and that in itself has value um so I think you just have to balance your you know my background is a journalist so I would never take information from one source ever and decide that you know I have the answers as a journalist I would always be reading interviewing multiple different people or looking at multiple different sources and making sure what aligns and what adds up and and where's that information coming from and um you know because things do contradict each other and people do have different experiences and even some of the studies don't always show exactly the same thing so yeah as a journalist I would always say visit multiple sources you know go to the ones you can trust it's perfectly okay to read a blog just because you want to hear about their experience and their personal journey they don't have to have all the answers or all the information this is partly why I wrote the book so I've got a book coming out called living with allergies and partly why I wrote the book was to try and bring all of that together um because when my kids were diagnosed I just wanted something with everything in one place you know I spent so many hours trawling the internet and I wanted something that gave me the fact 
facts and the science and interviews with experts, but also the day-to-day stuff. Like, how do I make my family understand? And, you know, how do I keep them safe at a friend's house? And all of those kind of things. So your book is mostly focused on food allergy and not the, the asthma component with James. Yeah, so it's based on allergies. So it's not just food allergies, it's environmental allergies as well. Um, it does. It touches on eczema, it touches on asthma. So um, I've got interviews with a couple of experts talking about those side of things and how everything interacts and plays together. But the main focus of it is the allergy side of it, yeah. The yeah. food allergy side of it. Food allergies and environmental allergies. So it talks about pollen okay. allergies, drug allergies, latex, all the different yeah spectrum oh wow okay so do they have drug allergies too my kids don't know so the the book isn't about us it's not about our journey so there's a little bit at the beginning about here's me and here's my background but the book is not from my perspective the book is factual and information um rather than it being our journey so obviously our experiences in there when we talk about you know how do you do a school management plan or how do you take a child to a birthday party all those kind of things uh, my experience obviously comes through it but it's not actually about our personal journey that's a lot that's a lot of information to give out there so i'm really <laughs> i'm excited to get it and read it too and just see how you know how you put it all together because it is it's it's daunting i mean the the allergy world is just so broad it's just so immensely broad yeah. that it's a lot it is yeah it, it is it's in like all these things it took me a lot longer than i thought it would and it still doesn't have everything in i wanted to because you know once you start going you can just start going down a rabbit hole and keep going but i've tried to give that kind of base level information that i feel like gives you a good grounding and overview can you give us a sneak peek is there like one subject or one thing that popped out that was surprising or particularly interesting to you that you wrote about um i mean i love doing the interviews i always have as a journalist i love interviewing people i love finding out you know people that have got that expertise and that information and then talking about it and finding out things i didn't know so some of the interviews i mean all the interviews were really interesting um a few things that came across strongly was the link between gut health and microbiome and how that is a kind of strong factor in there, not only in feed allergies, but also in things like eczema and, and different different areas of it. So that was really interesting to look at. I think that's probably the thing that stood out the most. But yeah, the the interviews were, were kind of key to me. And I also spoke to a lot of people who live with allergies as well to get kind of their their kind of insight and tips as well because I think it's important to hear from other people that are, that are in it as well yeah I mean the gut biome stuff is all pretty relatively new so mm-hmm. that's also something that we're that we're all starting to learn a lot more yeah. about the importance of it and I think another thing that came out of it although this isn't necessarily a positive I think it's important to kind of mention that there was a lot of we don't know you know, I interviewed some of the biggest experts in, in the country here who have done a lot of studies and a lot of papers and are very kind of leading in what they do. And there was still a lot of, you know what, we, we don't know. You know so they're still, all, they're still searching for answers and they're still doing everything they can to find it. But it's not, I think sometimes, maybe it's just me, but I'm always like desperately searching for that thing that I don't know. There's got to be something that I can do to solve this, to fix it. <laughs> you know, and there's obviously more out there in terms of immunotherapy and, and up and coming things that can help desensitize or manage things. But there is no magic bullet. There is no magic answer out there. 
I mean, it's a billion dollar answer is, yeah. really what it is, is because, you know, everyone's searching for it because of the increase in allergies yeah. and all spectrums, right? Is it the environment? How does the environment, how does the genetics, how does yeah. everything kind of combine together to create what we're seeing, you know, and what are we as humans doing to create this? You know, that's, it, that's really what the, the, the thing is that we're trying to figure out where have we kind of like put our little human hands in and how is that yeah. Interfered with the way that everything's kind of playing out. I think that's another thing for parents as well. There's often a lot of guilt around things. You know, I went through it as well. You know, and there's a massive genetic factors in my children. So I know a lot of it came from my genetics, but still you're thinking, oh, what could I have done differently? Or and I know now looking at, you know, the eczema link and what my son was like and how we probably transferred allergens to his skin, all those is, as a parent, just naturally you have this guilt of, oh, it must have been something I done, did, or I could have done something differently, or what did I eat or I didn't eat. And so I think parents are just looking for this answer of something to make them feel better. And I think it's it's important to know that it's not just one factor and it's not necessarily just one thing that you did or didn't do that ended up causing this situation sometimes we want to find something to blame i think that's the problem and it's it's still so up in the air about what it is and i think people just have a hard time going well it can't have been just genetics or it can't have been just a fluke which is yeah the answer we don't we don't know yet yeah yeah and i think the important thing that emma brought up too is that you we don't want parents to be blaming themselves yeah because that guilt and that kind of it kind of leads to almost like a paralysis where you kind of almost are nervous to do anything else that could in that could harm your child or that could you know um make things worse and so people just kind of start becoming a little bit too for lack of a better word neurotic yeah. You know, yes, and yes. you start becoming just a little bit too hyper vigilant of everything. And we can also cause problems, I think, and over food avoidance, for example, like avoiding everything all of a sudden and having a very limited diet that can also be, as we know now, very detrimental in so many different ways, you know, not only in the nutritional content of the food that you're providing your child, but also could it cause future allergies, you know? And so I think it is just so important, like what you're saying is just to kind of be informed. And it's difficult because, you know, that neurotic side of things that we've all felt or all been through, or that that those levels of anxiety can be high and they can be paralyzing. Um, I think both when you're newly diagnosed or your child's newly diagnosed, but also then when you hit any new experience, everybody gets used to managing their little bubble, don't they? You know, you get used to managing your home first and then you kind of slowly go out from that. But when a child starts preschool or school or is invited to a birthday party or anything like that that's new, it all kicks in again or eating out, um, you know, all those things. And I think it's really, really important to be informed and understand how to manage things correctly so that you can have that confidence to widen your circle and to try to live as normal life as possible and not let it restrict you or your children's interactions as much as possible. And Emma, tell me with that whole, you know, with your, the community that you've built, did you, do you have just a couple of people that you turn to all the time? Do you have people that if you're having that moment where you're feeling paralyzed or you're being, feeling super anxious besides your husband or, you know, are there, is there how do you reach out to people? Like what is a good way for parents to kind of reach out and find that person? I think, yeah, it's, it's finding that community. I think it's, it's good to have communities online because they're easily accessible and 
you know you're always going to find someone but it's also important as much as possible if you can to have circles of some sort in real life as well because there's nothing really beats having people around you so for me I've got two main circles I guess the the first are the people um that I met when I was pregnant with James so we had a you know we have baby courses here called MCT courses that you go on when you're meeting other people that are having children at the same time as you so we went on one of those courses so they were with me from the start from you know when James was a baby and he was you know unhappy and eczema ridden and we were going through the whole what on earth is going on and through the you know the diagnosis and all that so they were there from the start so they're the people that you know will do a birthday party and cater the whole thing so it's safe for James you know those friends that you know, are just so essential and important and are doing it not because they're affected by it in any way, but just for you. Though ironically, there's a couple of children within that group as well who have also been diagnosed with allergies along the way. And then my other main support network um, is actually a group of bloggers here in the UK who also blog around various different allergies or dietary restrictions, whether it's for them or their children. And we have our own little Facebook group where we always kind of support each other and you know that people understand kind of what you're going through that's great I think that it's really hard to find those people to connect with initially like and to to find if you do start online like if you do start through a Facebook group uh which can get a little bit overwhelming I have to admit and sometimes uh, like we talked about misinformation and whatnot they are a good starting point to um, read the comments and then connect private or like direct message someone who you feel might speak the same language as you in terms of how you feel like they're managing their allergies and you're managing your allergies because I find everyone has their own level of comfort on what they want to and what they don't want to do in terms of living their life to the fullest of with food allergies. Um, and that's where I find a lot of the trouble happens in these online support groups is that some people criticize you for being too lenient or some people are too lenient, you know? I feel like because we're all in the world of allergies, you know, we're blogging and we're interacting with the patients or you're interacting with patients. Um, it's easy for us to connect with people. But when I first started, it was so hard to connect with someone. It was so hard to find another allergic adult that I felt comfortable talking to. So it's it's also about vetting those people. And I feel like my experience has been when I have connected with someone directly, they're so willing to share. And you know, there's nothing to lose with saying, hey, I saw you commented on that Facebook group. I really like what you had to say. Um, do you mind just talking about your experience with me? I think that might be a good way if you're feeling isolated or if you're in a big city and you don't know where to go or you're in a small town and it's even harder to connect with someone. And I know that a lot of bigger cities have like allergy groups, like meetups. And like you said, I think if you can get into a room with people with food allergies, it's so nice to sit across from someone and be like, I get you and you get me and we have a shared experience and we can help each other out. It is literally that, I think. Sorry, it's that it's that getting it, isn't it? And knowing that they understand it from the same perspective. Because as much as your friends do want to help, my friends are great, unless you've been there and you've experienced it, like anything, you can't really properly understand it in the same way. And I think that idea of reaching out to individuals on groups is a great one because, you know, I joined so many groups and then I took myself off so many creeps, <laughs> partly because it comes overwhelming, um, partly for exactly what you say is that sometimes it can be just not very friendly. You know, sometimes people want 
things done in a certain way or yeah I'm not really sure why but don't respond in a way that's particularly helpful or supportive and also I just think you can actually have the opposite effect of when you're on all these groups and you're being bombarded with other people's allergy stories and other people's reactions and you know talking about tragic stories and all that a lot your perception of how safe you actually are or what you actually can do can be very skewed and it can actually have the opposite effect I think and make you feel more um at risk than you actually maybe that's a great point and how do you guys think that Instagram has changed all of this because I know like you said you've been doing this now for five years Emma and Mm. you've been doing it for a while too is Instagram and you've been doing it for three years yeah and how and how has Instagram kind of changed all of this or has it you know what's really interesting about Instagram is that's where I have like the deepest conversations in public about food allergies is there's I think it's because it's very targeted, like you're looking at maybe a specific hashtag and it's really someone seeking out that information. I think it's uh, a lot more curated on what I'm going to go seek out, whereas in Facebook group, it just like shows up on your newsfeed and you end up reading it. Maybe you shouldn't have read it that day or ever. I was really hesitant on joining Instagram. Um, mainly because I just didn't like taking pictures. And I was like, what am I going to do on this platform? But really, it's it's been a place for people to really 100% connect with each other's vulnerable stories. Yeah, I think you're right. On Instagram, you choose specifically the people to follow. So you may follow, you'll obviously follow a Facebook page, but usually on Facebook, you're also in groups. And that's when you're bombarded with everybody's opinions or everybody's experience or everybody's comments where on Instagram because you're choosing the individuals to follow you may see the comments below that but it's much more curated that you're choosing the particular people that you trust or you understand or have similar takes on things or similar experiences so you could basically ignore the rest of the comments and just kind of focus on the comment made by the user that you're following that kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. Because I, I, I honestly, I think navigating all of these things is just such an important conversation because even for me, I mean, I joined Instagram just this past year in a more professional way. You know, I had my personal account for a while, but in a more professional way, I just joined. And it's, it's, it's very interesting to see the different conversations that get started and how you want to be involved and how often you want to be involved and how much time you can spend with these kind of things and how, if that's positive or if that's kind of overwhelming or if it's, yeah, just how useful it is. I think, I think it is important to curate like the people that you follow in a very like targeted way. I think that's really good advice. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going back to the idea of, you know, finding those voices that really speak to you. Because I know that I have in the past, I've had that experience where I felt like my I was just feeding my fear, you know, and it's also being aware of what information you're consuming. If you're consuming too much of one thing, uh, I, I mean, we live in this time of like information overload where you can just like, if you're feeling like you should be avoiding this one food, even though you know you shouldn't be, you can find those people who are doing it and justify why you're doing that. So it is also about being really careful as well, because I do think that there is the potential to feed the fear. There's absolutely the potential to feed the fear completely. And I think it's like we were saying before, you know, you have to curate all the information, you have to look at your sources and you can always find somebody to back up what you're saying or 
disagree with what you're saying you know and you may not be you may not have such a balanced outlook as you think you do because you automatically take in or believe the information that you want to so I think you have to be able to look outside that and have the correct information and have the facts so that you're making decisions based on all the parameters and if somebody's saying something you you know why you think that's a good thing or don't think that's a good thing and not just because somebody else is saying it. Yeah, all good advice. And and I think just as a health practitioner, we're just understanding even more and more about how detrimental in general social media is. So mm-hmm. I think like kind of understanding a balance between even how much we're using it just you know, in general, like have some set aside time for when you're like kind of looking through feeds and looking through all the the things that you need to be looking through, but not doing it so often that it's affecting your ability to function. Yeah. I would be curious, do you tell your patients anything in particular when they've been diagnosed and they're like, okay, now I need to know how to go home and manage my allergies. Is there anything you tell them to look out for warning signs, you know, could bloggers do something to help? Uh, I mean, I think that's really why I was interested in starting this podcast is to kind of have a resource for patients that I kind of trust. I mean, like you said, there are so many national societies that have so much of like the basic information, but then with all of these like outside sources that I I don't really, I don't have time to look at every blogger's like information. You know, I don't have time to read every single blog that someone's put up or, and then just kind of blindly recommend people to my patients, you know, at this point right now. But I, I think that, um, I think that I'm figuring out that that is kind of important thing that I probably do need to do though is kind of figure out what my sources are. And that way I'm providing my patients with this information as opposed to just letting them loose onto Dr. Google, onto google.com for anything and onto like any old Facebook group. It's like, I think I should be a little bit more vigilant in the way that I'm practicing medicine and understanding that this is a big part of it now, Mm -hmm. that social media, Instagram, all of these things are a big part of our world. And if I'm telling somebody that they have this new diagnosis that they probably are going to go out and seek that information on all these platforms. So as a practitioner, I feel kind of responsible for helping them figure out which platforms, in my opinion, since they're picking me as their healthcare provider, are the ones that they can go to. And I think that's going to come from this blog. I think that's going to come from maybe, you know, creating my own website or, you know, even through our website for the itch, you know, we're going to really curate a list of resources for people like Emma, you know, I know Courtney has been following you for forever. I trust Courtney and I trust, um, just even from our conversation today, I trust everything that you're saying. I can tell you're a well-informed person. So I would definitely recommend your blog to my patients, you know, because I've already been able to have this conversation with you. I've already been able to connect now and understand that you're informed. I think it's important that it it goes both ways because I think absolutely like there can be this disconnect between you leave the doctor's office and you've got your medical diagnosis and suddenly you're kind of on your own to face the world. But I think what we were talking before on the last episode about the, the struggle sometimes with diagnosis with people maybe not getting the right advice or not getting the right information from their GP or from um, medical practitioners that sometimes it can be a positive for people to go on some of those groups or to go on the ones that are well curated or do have good information because it arms people with some information with confidence to be able to go back and say actually 
you know, I can see this and I think my child needs to do this. Or I, I can see that actually the, the, the guidelines say that you should be referring me for X, Y and Z. So I think if the information is presented well or curated properly, it can actually be beneficial on, on both sides. Absolutely. I mean, I... I learn so much from my patients. I honestly, you know, and I'm open to that information because I'm, I'm one individual. I'm a human being like doctors. We're just, we're human beings too, you know? And so we're open to learning. And I think that there is always this kind of like back and forth learning that needs to be done where, you know, just, I think I said this on the first episode, it's just, I've learned so much from being on Instagram and following patients Mm -hmm. just about what their daily questions are, what their daily struggles are. And I think that's helping me be a better doctor because when I'm diagnosing people or when I'm giving them this information, I'm kind of like more aware of this is how it's going to affect this person. This is what it's going to do to this person. And this is the kind of information that might help them fall into this diagnosis a little bit easier. Does that make sense? And so, no, I I totally agree. I don't think it's bad for people to do their own research, but I also think it might be helpful for practitioners to kind of also do their own research on sources that they feel comfortable recommending to their patients. I think being able to have that that open communication and that open conversation between patients and doctors is so important because I think, you know, there's often this block, not just with allergies and asthma, but with all medical conditions, when you go in there and people don't want to speak up or they feel like they can't ask the questions or, you know, maybe come out still not understanding things or feeling they they don't feel they can ask things. And I think it's so important yeah, for those conversations to be had, I think, on both sides. It's really interesting because I hear a lot about people saying, oh, you have to advocate for yourself when you go to the doctor. It's, it can sound very negative, but I think you're right, Emma. And the, the as a patient, you get really nervous sometimes and you you sit there in the office and you kind of don't want to be a bad patient. And you also don't, sometimes you don't tell the whole story because you want to be like, yeah, no, I'm doing, it's good. I'm good. Maybe you're not good, but you feel like you're a bad patient or you don't tell your full story because you want to please your doctor. I don't know if that's something that you've experienced, but it's like you get there and you're like, I'm going to ask all these questions. And then you sit in front of your doctor and you're like, oh yeah, everything's fine. And then maybe you're like, oh, great. Now I forget why I came or I don't want to displease you or I want to you want to put on a brave face when maybe that's the time for you to actually let it all out. I don't know. Do you experience that at all? I'm probably the opposite. Like I'm the one that if I feel I need to turn up at the doctors every day until they listen to me, I will. But I've still hit so many blocks along the way, especially when James was little, a lot of kind of patronizing. Oh, were you a first time parent? Oh, babies do cry. Like a lot of that, that when you, you know, you are a first time parent and you are, you don't know what you're doing in parenting. You have just been thrown this tiny child and had to look after it. It does make you start questioning yourself and think, oh, well, maybe, maybe it is just because I haven't had a baby before. But then, yeah, I think, as I said before about hitting blocks on going, you know, these extra creams aren't working, nothing's happening. And then just keep going, oh, we'll put more on. It will be fine. Or yeah, asking with allergens or go through my breast milk and being told, no, 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 it won't. It's something that's always really frustrated me because even though I hit those blocks, I'm generally a fairly confident person that I will turn around and go, no. And, and, and if I'm hitting those blocks, what's happening to those people that don't feel confident, you know, or can't advocate for themselves or aren't in a place to do that and will just go away and say, oh, OK, then. So I think, 
yeah I think it's so important I mean here something we have which I, th I think it's international I'm not entirely sure called the IMAP guidelines which are about diagnosis of milk allergy in, in babies, in infants. And it's something that you can actually print off the internet and take with you to the doctors saying, this is the guidelines of what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to be referring me to. And Dr. Adam Fox, who's one of the allergist who I interviewed for the book was kind of one of the main people who put that together and having things like that where you can actually take it in and say look these are the nice guidelines or these are these are the things that you were supposed to be doing I think is so important because then it gives people that backup and it gives them something to go look it's not just me saying this here's something you know proper that I can bring in and talk about because yeah it's a massive frustration I think. Do you have any advice Dr. Gupta on like for instance so Emma and I are both very opposite patients I always I have now gotten to a point where I have to write down a list of questions before I go to the doctor so I make sure that I actually remember why I'm there instead of just sitting down and being like oh hi nice to see you again I'll see you in a year. Um, I think that that's perfect advice for a patient like you. And I think that, you know, to come with a list of questions that are already kind of in on your mind, so you don't forget. And then I think for Emma, I mean, uh, as a practitioner, like I said, we're human, and we're totally open to people's suggestion. But sometimes, you know, we can feel threatened, too. So mm -hmm. I think it's I think there's a balance of how you bring that information to your doctor we have still gone through a lot of training. And so I think it's like having that kind of balance of I've done this research online. This is what I found. And what do you think, you know, and kind of having a conversation about it as opposed to kind of coming in with a, this is what I need done. And this is what you need to do. Um, which I don't think that you're doing, but I'm just saying, yeah, like, I, I, I promise I'm, not, I'm not banging doors down. <laughs> yeah, no, but I have encountered patients. You know, I'm, I'm talking about the two things. I've encountered yeah. patients that yeah, are too yeah. passive and then patients that are too aggressive yeah. and it's kind of being that happy medium that I think leads to the best relationship possible for yeah. both, both human beings, you know, the doctor and the patient. I think it's just coming to that balance of being informed as a patient, but then also realizing that you're coming to your doctor for a reason because you trust them. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, kind of trying to figure out where that conversation lies and how you can have that kind of nice, healthy balance so that people uh, don't feel threatened on either side. I think that trust factor is so important as well because it is a responsibility on both sides and it is finding a doctor or an allergist that you can trust and you can communicate with because, you know, I've been to see doctors before that I'll admit I really, especially in primary care, really don't think they did know what they were talking about. But then I've changed to other ones that I'd absolutely trust and can go in and have that, you know, that conversation with in a kind of mature adult way of, you know, we, we both know what we're talking about and let's try and find the right solution, you know, from our own perspectives and our own experiences. Yeah. And I, I think there is like, obviously a very, like we were saying, you know, pediatricians, specialists, uh, GPs or specialists, you know, they all have a different knowledge range. Yeah. Um, that's, and that's why, yeah. that's why specialists are there. And that's why GPs are there. You know, they're there to kind of figure out when a specialist is needed. I think it's, it's kind of coming up to that decision together and trying to figure out when it makes mm -hmm. sense to kind of involve somebody else into the equation. I think part of the issue here, and I don't know if it's the same in other countries, is that, you know, the referral process can be quite difficult to get to that point in the first place. Uh, partly because of the way our system works, but also because the the allergy clinics are just becoming quite overrun because of the increase in people having allergies. So actually trying to get to that point in the first place 
can be quite a bumpy road and then people can get very frustrated or you know not be getting the information they need at the right time yeah i mean i think in the u.s versus the uk the the systems are very very different yeah you know in the u.s it is a lot easier Mm. to get specialist if that's really what you want. I mean, it really depends on the insurance type that you have. Mm. For some insurances, you really don't need any kind of referral. So you could say, oh, I want to see a lung specialist for my asthma. I want to see a dermatologist for my eczema. I want to see an allergist for my food. And, you know, all of those things combined together. So it's it's really... um, you know, it, it really does depend on the type of insurance you have here. Mm-hmm. But the availability, I think, of subspecialists is probably a lot more here yeah. than the UK. Um, unfortunately, I mean, you know, it's just the system here is a lot more different. Yeah, we are quite beholden to the system. I mean, you can you can go private, you can pay privately to see people. So there is always that option. But if you're going through the NHS, then there are a lot of steps and processes. Yeah, you have to go through, okay. which I think is what makes it more frustrating for people. You don't have that same level of control over it. Got it. Got it. Right. There is that private system. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So you could, if you really, really wanted to, you could go and see that. It would just be a question of cost. Yeah. So I think this was a great discussion. We talked about a lot of different things. (laughs) Yeah, I think this was really important to talk about today. You know, this stems back to why we started this podcast is this information overload that we get. And even, you know, for people who are in it, like Emma and myself and Dr. Gupta, you, you do have to figure out where you're going, what you're reading. And it can feel very overwhelming, you know, how to vet your information a wrap-up question for you, Emma, is where would you first go research-wise online? I personally, first the online would go to one of the big allergy networks, so Allergy UK, Anaphylaxis Complete, Pain, Fair, one of those that have you know good trusted information where you're going to be able to get at least the basics um, and understand your condition and understand what you're dealing with. Or you could come and join my Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> so I have one called Living with Allergies, which I developed partly because of the frustration with all the others. And I just wanted my own space that I could kind of curate in the way that I wanted to. Yeah. Or after March 30th, there's a great book coming out, which I would say would be a great starting point. <laughs> um, hopefully. Um, yeah. To give you that kind of baseline understanding and information and hopefully reassurance, which is partly another main you know, reason for it is to give you that reassurance and that confidence of going out there. And and Dr. Gupta, when a patient's like, oh, thank you for this diagnosis. Now, um, what what else can I do? Or what where can I go? What else can I do? What kind of advice do you give them before they step outside your office? I give them similar advice. I tell them to go, you know, if they're a new, newly diagnosed food allergy patient, I tell them to go to the FAIR website because, again, FAIR has a lot of information, but they also have a lot of community, like, they, they build a lot of community. So there's, you know, conferences you can attend as a parent or as a patient. I think there's lots of little, uh, you know, there's walks that you can go to and meet other parents, uh, fundraisers, those kind of things where, um, people can develop community. And so I, I send my patients to those bigger websites and then kind of go from there. But I also do always tell them to be wary of, you know, the information that they're reading online. And if they ever have any questions to always come back to me, before they get worried or before they get kind of consumed with things that are, yeah, start worrying about through something that they read online. That's really good. And we can link to some of those on our blog. 
So some of those starting point websites will have links for the, you guys on our blog so you can go and see those. Yeah. And Emma, where can people find you online? So my blog is um, freefromfarmhouse.co.uk or you can find me on Facebook, Free From Farmhouse or Instagram, Free From Farm. And then as I said, I've got the Facebook group Living With Allergies. And yeah, you'll be able to buy the book as well, which is also called Living with Allergies. And we'll include all those links as well. Brilliant. It's been lovely talking to you. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know, or check out our website, which is www.itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week. Thank you.